With COVID-19 border closures continuing into the foreseeable future, what does the future look like for the Australian travel industry? It's pretty grim according to some revelations from the Australian Federation of Travel Agents this week, but cruise companies seem to be optimistic about the longer-term prospects for the local market, with some big cruise news also announced in recent days. I'm Bruce Piper. And I'm Anna Piper. And this is Travel Daily News on the Fly. So this week, AFTRA has made its final submission to the government, pleading for an extension to the JobKeeper program because of how hard the travel industry has obviously been impacted by COVID-19. What did they say to the Treasury Department? AFTRA's been working hard behind the scenes right from the get-go of this COVID-19 nightmare, aiming to highlight the massive impact that these government decisions, these border closures and shutdowns have had particularly on the travel sector. And although the whole economy's affected, you have to remember that it all started as early as February for the travel and tourism sector when SCOMO blocked the borders to arrivals from China. It's only gotten worse from there. AFTRA's been collaborating and consulting with um, accounting firm KPMG and together they've put together a really clear case for additional support for the industry and details of the submission were made public through Travel Daily on Tuesday this week. And what were some of the main points of that submission? To me, the most alarming element of the report was the outcome of a survey of AFTA members undertaken about their experience with the JobKeeper program. Almost everyone who responded to the survey said they'd successfully applied for and were receiving JobKeeper. And, you know, that means a whopping 40,000 people across every city, regional city, every regional centre in Australia, in fact. And that's fantastic, but you know that the JobKeeper applies to businesses that have experienced a 30% downturn. For the AFTA members surveyed, um, four out of five of them said their revenue was not down 30%, but 100%, and a further 16% were down 90%. So you'd have to be a walrus stuck inside an aquarium not to realise that the travel industry has been hit harder than almost all of the rest of the economy. So JobKeeper is helping, but also shockingly, 42%, that's two out of every five agents, said that they intend to shut down their businesses if JobKeeper doesn't continue beyond September, the planned wind-down of the scheme. After arguing hard for an extension through until June 2021 for eligible businesses in the travel sector, and with the help of the United Voice of the Industry through this survey, let's hope they're successful. But you've got to remember, there are heaps of organisations all pleading their case to Treasury. There's only so much money to go around, and the government doesn't want to sort of, you know, make particular exceptions. We all know how hard travel and tourism has been hit, but there's no guarantee that AFTA's bid will be successful. And so how do you think the industry is going to change in light of all of this? I think given the sentiment expressed in that survey, it's inevitable that big change is coming. I wrote a travel bulletin editorial yesterday where, with the help of a few readers, I highlighted some of the big issues the industry is facing. I've got to say it was pretty depressing actually, but I fear that we need to face the harsh reality that things are not going to return to the good old days anytime soon. For example, even if JobKeeper gets extended, you've got to remember that this is only supporting businesses to pay their staff. What about other costs? Rent, utilities, GDS fees, internet? IATA costs, franchise memberships, etc. Some of these have been put on hold, but you can't expect landlords and other service providers to hold off forever. After all, they're businesses too. And while staff continue to be retained on JobKeeper, businesses also continue to accrue their entitlements, like uh, annual leave, long service leave, etc., at the full rate. So what's going to change? Well, I'm not a, I don't have a crystal ball, but I think there has to be some more industry consolidation. Some of the various travel agency groups may come together to make things more cost effective, because if 40% of agents close, then there simply won't be as many members around. 
I'm also sure that with Flight Centre closing 428 stores in Australia and the predicted shutdown of other agencies, some suppliers will be thinking very hard about their distribution strategy, perhaps deciding that it's going to be better to target direct bookings rather than um, you know, invest in the travel agency channel and wanting to build relationships with consumers rather than through other intermediaries. But also, I think there may be opportunities. For example, someone suggested the idea of a travel agent of last resort. If all these agencies do close down, we're going to need someone who can take over the live bookings of other offices, which do decide to cease trading. I don't want to be a preacher of doom, but I think we need to have a clear view of what may be ahead of us, particularly with such uncertainty about border openings, uh, you know, places like the US, UK, Europe, who knows when that's all going to reopen. There's definitely be opportunities too, but you've got to be actively looking for them rather than putting your head in the sand and hoping the world will return to normal once JobKeeper ends. So you mentioned that Flight Centre is closing lots of shops here, but I think they've also made some major changes over in North America. What's the story there? This is all part of Flight Centre's global transformation after its COVID-19 near-death experience. We don't know whether the same model is going to roll out in other markets, including Australia, but in North America, where the company currently has about 125 stores, all closed because of coronavirus, they've confirmed that they plan to reopen just 30 of them. Don't know where they are, and those 30 stores will operate as network hubs, where consultants can either work from home or in the office and cultivate a direct relationship with clients. It's a major restructure of the operation, facilitated, of course, by technology. Sounds a bit like a hybrid between home-based and traditional travel consulting, with agents, of course, having access to the full range of flight centre product, air deals, etc. It'll be interesting to see how it goes, and I'm betting if it's successful, we're likely to see a similar model rolling out in other markets. Today's episode of News on the Fly is brought to you by the Travel Daily Training Academy. If you're wanting to educate agents on your product, the Travel Daily Training Academy is just the thing. Being featured on the Academy is highly cost-effective, with a monthly fee including setup of the website, design and loading of your content. But the big advantage is that it includes marketing through the Business Publishing Group suite, including Travel Daily, Cruise Weekly and Travel Bulletin. This means not only do you have the training facility, but also let the industry know about your training modules. Take the stress out of agent training. Head to training.traveldaily.com.au to find out more. So despite all the doom and gloom, in the last couple of days we've heard a bit of positive cruise news, which is very refreshing. It's from Royal Caribbean. Can you tell us what they announced? Well, interestingly, there was no formal announcement of this at all, and I think it's pretty massive news. Uh, Royal Caribbean emailed past passengers to announce that in 2021, they'd be bringing not one, but two of their massive quantum-class ships to sail out of Sydney. We've had Ovation of the Seas here, I think, for the last four, five, four or five years, and she is a very big ship with all the latest in innovations. The big news is at the end of next year, end of 2021, as well as Ovation, we're going to have her sister ship and the first in the class, Quantum of the Seas, sailing out of Australia as well. These are big ships, and there are going to be a lot of berths to sell, so surely that's got to be a great opportunity for the whole industry. And so why do you think they didn't make a really big announcement? I'm guessing that in these COVID-constrained times and with crews getting such an unfairly bad rap, they don't want to sort of create an opportunity for criticism or for mainstream media to start slamming the industry again. There's still definitely lots of anti-crew sentiment out there and announcing that two of these big ships probably would make Royal an easy target. But look, it is big news for the industry and big news for Australia and New Zealand. And they're also going to just deploy Radiance of the Seas out of Brisbane from the new cruise terminal. So Royal is definitely confident in the recovery of the Australian and New Zealand cruise markets. 
Yeah, absolutely. And was there any other significant cruise news this week? Unfortunately, the global industry continues to be in the doldrums. Um, you know, no certainty about resumption of service and, you know, ships sort of in cold layup all over the place. And so this week, there were a bunch of further extensions of the cruising pauses currently in place for a number of companies. Uh, Cunard now isn't planning to resume operations until November. Another one which didn't get widely announced was the complete cancellation of the upcoming Australasian season for Norwegian Jewel. Very little information about this was forthcoming. Basically, an email to book passengers saying that several departures were cancelled, which turned out to be the entire local season starting from this September. Look, there's no doubt cruise operations and deployments are very complex at the moment. Let's hope there's some clarity soon from governments, with projected dates at least for a restart so the industry can do some concrete planning rather than this awful movable feast of cancellations. And finally, we've just had the Queen's birthday honours. Was anyone in the travel industry recognised for their work? Yes, there were a few industry people who got gongs, including Hello World CEO Andrew Burns, who received an Order of Australia, or AO, for Distinguished Service to Business. Desmond Watts, who co-founded the caravan park network Big Four Parks, he got a Medal of the Order of Australia. Our former Tourism Queensland Chair Patrick Jackman was also awarded an AO. And Kate Lamont, who previously chaired Tourism Western Australia, was named a member of the Order of Australia. Well, congratulations, everyone. I'm sure those Queen's birthday honours were very well deserved. Thanks for listening. Keep up to date with your daily newsletters from Travel Daily and Cruise Weekly. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for your weekly run through of all the latest travel industry news. We'll be back next week with more news on the fly.